Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz guitar legend Ed Cherry. He grew up in New Haven, Connecticut. He started out on the clarinet and had dreams of playing professional baseball. When that wasn't going to be a reality, he picked up the guitar and his path led him to New York City. And in 1978, he hooked up with legendary jazz cat Dizzy Gillespie, forging a long playing relationship full of great music. He has a new 2016 CD out called Soul Tree, and it's a phenomenal listen, and it's doing great on the charts. He's spent a lot of time as a studio musician, and he loves jazz. So get to know Ed and dig this interview, my friends. Hey, how you doing? How are you, sir? All right, all right. Hey, thank you for taking some time out today. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So I'm going to just dive right in here. I know you have a brand new album, Soul Tree, that's out, but... I want to get an idea of what's been going on with you lately. Well, I've been fairly busy doing uh, gigs around town here in New York with my own trio, organizing some a couple of workshops in Europe. I've been doing some tours in Poland, of all places. It's a big music, big jazz scene in Poland, actually. I've been uh, going over there two or three times a year, you know, for a week or two at a time. And uh, I just got back from there uh, in, when was it, uh, February. And I'm going again in uh, October. Supposed to be going to Italy in June for a workshop, you know, a little jazz camp near Genoa. And then again in August, going to France, south of France. There's another workshop that I'm doing, you know, things like that. So they kind of... But, you know, and then in the downtime, you know, I do little gigs here and there in New York, you know, a couple of students, not not a bunch of students, but, you know, I, I do that, too. Let me ask you about Soul Tree. It's a great album. Talk to me a little bit about it, and it's charting well. Tell me a little bit about the afterglow of this album, how you feel about it, and what went into this album. It wasn't a, a big grand plan. I mean, the, the, guy, the guys that are on the, the CD, on the recording... Uh, Kyle Kohler and Anwar Marshall. They're in my band, so we've been doing gigs here in New York, you know, here and there, and when the time came around for uh, Positone wanting a, a recording, we just went in and played what we played on a gig, you know. We kind of refined some of it, but basically it's just how we play live, you know, so it was fairly easy. You know, the tunes, the choice of tunes. I mean, those those are the tunes that are in our book now, you know. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. I kind of take, take a recording process from how Dizzy used to do it. Dizzy never went in to record new material. He always record, He tried to record his band that has been playing music, you know, for a while before he would bring the band in to record it, you know. Yeah. So, so that's kind of how I I work, you know. Yeah. I don't really go in with new tunes, you know, sure. or tune tunes that we've barely played. You know, I just kind of go in and play what we've been playing for a while, and it makes it more relaxed. So I'm going to get back to the beginning of your life. You were were you born and raised in New Haven, Connecticut? Yes. yes. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about your childhood there and how you fell in love, not only with music, but with jazz. Well, my dad was a jazz fan, is a jazz fan. My dad's still around. He's 89 and still still working. He's an architect, you know, and he's still working and listening to music. He still comes out and sees me play whenever 
I'm close enough in the area. But he's a jazz fan, and 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 he he would play the records in the house. You know, he I still have some of his seventy eights. You know, he would play. You know, let's see who were his favorites: uh, Charlie Parker, uh, Barry Harris. He liked Wardell Gray, uh, James Moody. You know, so I would hear this this music in the house. You know, when I was a little kid. You know, yeah. Grant Grant Green was a favorite. Kenny Burrell. Uh, Wes, he listened to a little bit, but Grant Green and Kenny Burrell were his favorite guitar players. When I was in about third grade, I started playing clarinet in the school band because I knew, you know, I liked music and I wasn't really sure, you know, what I wanted to do with any of that. But the clarinet was uh, available to me, so I took it up in third grade and played that for about two or three years and then uh, went from that to the guitar clarinet and baseball (laughs) (laughs) I was a big baseball guy little league you know I played little league I was into sports you know and and, uh, so I played clarinet for two or three years and then baseball and then Baseball fell by the wayside when I uh, started playing the guitar, like around seventh grade, eighth grade. You know, I started just playing, uh, taking lessons for about a year, the half-hour Saturday morning guitar lessons at the local music store, you know. And then once I uh, started learning some basic chords, I started playing with my friends in the neighborhood, you know, popular R&B tunes of the day and James Brown and all that kind of stuff. And just continued to play on through high school, blah, 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 you know, blues, funk, everything, you know, playing in bands, top 40 bands. And then when I was about 17, 18, I started listening to my dad's record collection and going out to hear music. Uh, George Benson, Larry Coryell, Joe Pass, whenever they would come through New Haven, you know, or in the area, I would go see them, you know, and Jackie McQueen, saw Jackie McQueen, he, you know, he lived in Hartford, which is not too far from New Haven, he, I would go see him play, um, you know, my parents knew him and his wife, Dolly, I, I had been coming in and out of New York since about 75, 74, I started taking Saturday classes at a program called Jazzmobile, which was like a almost free music program here in Harlem. And some of the great master musicians uh, at that time were teaching there. Jimmy Heath and uh, Ted Dunbar and, and uh, Bob Nellum, who played with Mingus. Uh, you know, all these guys, they were, they were teachers there. So I would go in every Saturday and take those lessons and meet the other musicians and who, you know, my age, you know, and then I went to uh, see Dizzy Gillespie and he had this great guitarist, Rodney Jones, who was like 20 at the time, became friends with Rodney and, you know, he turned me on to another teacher, blah, 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 meet, meet different cats. So I decided to move to New York in 1978. So I've been in New York since 1978. And then shortly after I moved to New York, uh, I got the gig with Dizzy. 
through Rodney Jones, who had been in Dizzy's band for about three years or so. He decided to leave the group and uh, recommended me. And that's how I got the gig with Dizzy. Right on. There's a couple things I want to point out there in your lineage. First of all, what was your first guitar like? Uh, it was a nylon string, cheap classical guitar. You know, and I played that for about a year. And, you know, my parents saw that I was serious about it because I was playing it all the time. So they got me a cheap electric guitar. And that's when I started playing with my friends. I told you I played with my friends in the neighborhood. So I had a little amp and electric guitar and... <laughs> That that was it. So after you realized baseball wasn't going to work out, you picked up the guitar, did you know that music was going to be a part of the career path that you were going to take in your life? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I knew right away that that's all I wanted to do, you know. You know, my parents wanted me to go to music school, you know, to be a... a you know, to get to get the degree and maybe become a teacher or something. But I didn't do that. I mean, I I was going to go to Berkeley, you know, and all the paperwork in and everything. This is 1972. And I had friends that were already already there. You know, I was in and out of there. But I didn't stay and ended up going on the road and the rest is history. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so. you know, the one thing that I'm always amazed about increasingly as I delve into the history of jazz, especially on the East Coast, is how instrumental the jazz mobile was, how much good those guys did to lend their talents and their yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it, it was great. It was great, you know, and, you know, I, I was in Ted's class, and Ted was a taskmaster, you know, he had his, his books and everything that he had written and everybody had to buy a book and study out of his books. And, and he, it was difficult, you know, but but it was great sitting there, you know, like about 15 or 20 of us sitting around him. He's just playing, you know, we all knew that Ted was one of the master players on the New York scene and we were sitting right in front of him. So, And I I eventually taught there myself for about three years. Years later, you know, a year, uh, I think my last class was maybe five or six years ago. But I, I had started teaching there uh, for about two or three years. They, I think they've shut down now. I don't think Jazzmobile is happening anymore. Let me ask you a question. Is You, you come into New York City, you come into kind of the, the mecca of jazz, and you hook up with someone like Dizzy, and all I've ever heard is how infectiously happy and beautiful the soul that Dizzy had was, that had to be an incredible learning curve to come into New York and hook up with Dizzy. Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, Dizzy, Dizzy was a positive guy. I mean, he, you know, yeah, he was funny and, you know, he would tell jokes and this and that, but he was very serious about the music, you know, as long as everybody in the band was on time, you know, <laughs> don't be late to the gig, play what he wanted behind him, and that was it, you know, just just play what he wanted. You know, you could pretty much improvise and play any kind of way you wanted on your solo, but in the in the scheme of, of playing the, the arrangement, the way he was hearing it, and and how he wanted the accompaniment behind him when he was playing a melody or soloing, he was very serious about that, you know. But uh, other than that, 
he was a great guy, great band leader, never a problem. You know, I was lucky, you know, because I hear horror stories about other guys in certain bands who, you know, band leaders don't pay them or they disappear or they're yelling at him on stage, you know, Dizzy never did any of that. He was it was all business. Yeah. And very and very normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. That's cool, man. One one thing I do want to ask you too, you play with a lot of other luminaries in the world of jazz, like John Patton, Emmy Blewett, Henry Threadgill. What was it like to be around forces like that? Kind of akin to Dizzy. What do you learn from people like that? Uh just uh Watching how they work, you know, like uh, it was obvious that Henry had thoroughly studied, uh, you know, classical music and and used it in his own writing and arranging. Music was very difficult. Again, Henry was a great guy, you know, but very serious about the music. A lot of rehearsals. Yeah, Henry Henry was great. Uh, John Patton. John Patton was, you know, like a fun-loving guy, beautiful guy. Uh, very much into the blues, which was like right up my alley, you know, uh, swinging hard. He lived near me uh, when I was when I was living in New Jersey. He lived not not far from my house, so I would go, you know, to his house and we would jam and rehearse, and this and that, and uh, you know, he'd tell Grant Green stories because they played together for a lot of years, you know. So, you know, I'd hear all the Grant Green stories and, tra- you know, traveling with Lou Donaldson and all that stuff. So, you know, uh, yeah, that was great, too. John Patton, you know, uh, just a natural talent, you know. And I don't think he went to school or anything, you know, like that. You know, uh, I think Henry got his musical education in the Army and school, elementary school in Chicago. But I, you know, John was like a natural talent, just a natural genius, you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, yeah, the, all those guys, the, the the thread here is that all those guys, they were geniuses. They were or are geniuses in their own way, you know, and watching yeah. them work and how they put together stuff, you know, put together the music and very clear about what they wanted, you know. Yeah. Whether they, whether there was written music or not, you know, they, they they were hearing it all in their head and they were able to explain it. You know, Dizzy was great like that, you know. Dizzy didn't like to write stuff down, but if he did, he could. <laughs> yeah. No pro- no problem, you know. But he would rather just talk to you play it on the piano, and then it was up to you to pick it up, you know. So let me ask you this. In your career, you've been a pretty prolific studio musician. What's the greatest thing about being a studio musician? What do you like the best about it? The challenge, you know, going in and not really knowing what's going to happen. I mean, you got you sort of have an idea of the style of music before you go, but, you know, you know what's, what's going to be asked of you, uh, you know, uh, and making it happen. You know, trying trying to make it happen, trying to make the whole thing sound good. Uh, meeting new people, you know. Sometimes you do a session, and there's people you may know but never have played with. You know, 
Like I just did a session uh, recently with a vocalist named Holly Cole, great singer from uh, Canada. Larry Goldings was the musical director. I've, I've met Larry, you know, but we've never played together. And it was great. We spent like two, three days together on this session and, you know, got to see him work and great guy, funny, you know. Uh, ben Street was on bass. I think I played with Ben once, but, you know, we hang in different circles. So it was good to, you know, hang with him for a couple of days. So it's nice, you know, meeting meeting cats that maybe you've never played with, making this uh, new music happen, trying to make it happen instantly. You know, it's, it's the challenge of the thing. So let me ask you about the teachers, the instructors that you've had in your life. Whose advice reverberates in your head to this day? Who gave you advice that you really have remembered? Yeah. Uh, well, besides Dizzy, uh, the, the, the one other person that I have to mention, his name was Bruce Johnson. Probably no one's ever heard of him, but uh, many musicians in New York knew Bruce. Uh, Bruce was uh, another genius musician, guitarist, uh, bassist, uh, artist, all kinds of woodworking. He did, he's just like an all-around guy. But he was a genius guitar player. And um, he's one of the reasons that I started coming in and out of New York before I actually moved there. I would take lessons from him, hang out with him for the day. Uh, you know, and he, he was one of the ones that would, that would introduce me to uh, some of the local musicians that would come by his house to talk or jam. or You know, I, got, I really got to know some of the musicians in New York before I moved here through Bruce, you know, and, you know, he's, he's, you know, and I was a kid, you know, I was like 18, 19, you know, and telling me the importance of, you know, like, you know, finding the right musicians who, who are going to support what you do, uh, you know, playing with a metronome, <laughs> practicing with a metronome, you know, I yeah. never really done that before, you know, I mean, I, you know, I was, I was still very green, you know, and, and simple things like that, you know, presenting yourself well, you know, when you go out, uh, you know, uh, things like that, that, you know, just like a grooming me, so to speak, I guess for the jazz scene in New York. Bruce Johnson, great guitar player. He played, uh, he didn't record a lot. He played guitar on a couple of recordings with uh, Enrico Rava, Chico Hamilton, Errol Parker's uh, pianist from from France who moved to New York in the early 70s. A very strange composer, different. Bruce played on a couple of recordings with him. And that's about it, I think, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you, what is your philosophy as a teacher? My philosophy, well, you know, the philosophy is learn as many tunes as you can, uh, you know, Tin Pan Alley, jazz tunes, jazz composers, uh uh playing playing in time and tempo. Uh I really stress that because if you're playing a lot of stuff and you you're not playing in a good tempo, you know, you fall out in and out of time, nobody's going to want to play with you. So it doesn't matter how you play or what 
you know, what you know if you can't play in time, meaning practicing with a metronome, playing with people. I try to stress trying to find uh, people who are better than you to play with, you know, not just being the best guy in the band, but trying to be the worst guy in the band, you know, when you're coming up. And that's that's one of the quickest ways to learn. And, and getting gigs, playing in front of people, you know, you know, having having you know two sets worth of of, of music, finding your musicians and, and playing, you know, going out and playing in front of people. You know, I I invite them to come to my gigs and sit in, you know, and then I can really hear them, and and give them a critique, you know. But yeah, that's you know. Just playing in front of people and, and get, getting your time together and, you know, being relaxed when you play and not necessarily have to play a lot of notes to make good music. Let me ask you this. You mentioned a lot of albums you've listened to. you played with what the world would consider a lot of jazz heroes. But for you, who would you consider your jazz heroes? Well, let's see. There are many. Uh jazz heroes, okay. Uh, Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, I like Barry Harris, uh, Grant Green, Kenny Burrell, John Patton, Jimmy Smith, uh, Jackie McLean, Dexter Gordon, uh, Roy Haynes, uh, Wes Montgomery, uh, many more, you know. But most of most of those are the guys that my dad used to listen to, you know, and I went back and listened to them, you know, and those are the guys. Louis Armstrong. You know, Louis is always refreshing to listen to. After listening to all this really convoluted stuff, you know, train and all that stuff. And then you go back and you listen to a nice Louis Armstrong record from like the early fifties or the forties or the mid late 30s that's that's some great stuff you know yeah just pure, pure melody pure tone joy you know let me ask you this you dedicated your life to jazz so answer me this why do you love jazz <laughs> why do I love you know, it's, uh, it's uh the immediacy of the, the walking on a tightrope you know like coming up with instant uh melodies uh with with your improvisations, uh, meeting meeting the musicians who who uh, push you to uh, get to another level in your zone, pushing you to another zone, uh, uh, your uh, an outer body experience. I love that you know, that outer body experience when you when everything is right and the musicians are supporting and. You know, you're not you're not thinking about what you're playing. You're just playing, and it all comes out feeling right. You know, I, I love that feeling. What is one of the nicest things that either a fellow musician or a fan has ever said to you about your music? Uh, well, not so much musicians, uh, you know, but the people who are non-musicians who come up to you after the after a concert or something. And I really love what you do. You know, and I, I bought your CD, or I, you know, I heard you before, and I came back to hear you again. You know, 
And these are people, you know, who just work nine to five. They're out with their wives or their date or whatever. You know, they don't play. They, you know, they don't they don't have any judgments about how you play. They, they just feel good when they hear you. Those are the best compliments. Everyone has a version of who you are, your fans, your family, your friends, your business associates. But who do you think you are? Well, who do I think I am? Uh, I'm, I'm just a, I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm just a just a guy out here trying to make some music and make people happy and you know earn a living at the same time. You know, and it's it can sometimes be difficult. And, uh, it can be difficult on the family. Uh, sometimes you don't see your friends for a long time because you're traveling a lot. Uh, but uh, it's all worth it in the end. I, I, you know, I'm just a regular guy. I like to watch basketball. You know, I, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, I was a sports guy. I used to play baseball and tennis. I like, still like watching that. You know, uh, you know, I like a like old movies. You know, I like to watch film noir and go to a new movie every now and then. Although the ticket prices now are crazy here yeah. in New York. Anyway, it's like. Twenty twenty five dollars to go see a movie. Come on, how? <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. But you know, so I, you know, I, you know, I have I have my little things that I do away from music. I like, you know, I like to. Uh, I also like to get away from the guitar for a while, and it kind of it kind of re-energizes me. Uh, you know, go on vacations, you know, to uh, to the Caribbean without the guitar or. I like to go to Vermont, you know, out in the cornfields and look at the cows and enjoy the quiet, you know. I enjoy quiet places. That's what I like to do. This is my final question for you. You're far from being done, but you've made a huge mark in the world of jazz. When the world sits back in the proverbial easy chair and they flip back the pages of jazz history, the annals, and they come across your name, how do you want to be remembered? That guitar player that made me feel good when he played some blues and how the you know and his time with Dizzy you know and what a great band that was and helping trying to help other other young musicians and you know uh, giving credit where credit is due you know I mean I, I hope people say that about me you know. That uh, I, I was I was helpful and honest and a nice guy. I wasn't a jerk. <laughs> you know, yeah. You because know, sometimes sometimes you know you have to say you know you meet people you 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 know you have these these stars in your head. You know, oh yeah, so and so. I really love the way he plays. Blah blah blah. And then you meet him and it's like ugh. You know that. <laughs> They're like a, a drag, you know. They're a drag to talk to, or they, you know. They look down their nose at you, or whatever, and it's not a nice situation. And you walk away thinking, "Gee, I'll never buy that guy's record again, or I'll never listen to his music again, just because of the way he is," you know. But hopefully, I, you know, hopefully I'm not like that. Hopefully, uh, people will think that, yeah, it was a nice guy, you know and played play decent guitar. So. That's a perfect way to wrap everything up. Ed, thank you for opening up with me today and giving me your story. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for the call. 
Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Ed for his warmth, his music, and his tales. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit the neonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.